unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm. We've been having some technical difficulties today, but it yeah. seems like most of them are fixed. So I'm excited to jump into this week's episode, and we've got John Williamson joining us again. We kind of left on a little bit of a cliffhanger last week, so I've been waiting on pins and needles all week to uh, get into the next topic that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm just going to sit back and absorb as much of the conversation as I can. Good, because our title today is What You Didn't Know About Charging Higher Prices, and I'm going to tell you three words that can help you charge higher prices than you're charging right now, even higher than your competitors. Those words are emotional risk displacement. Now, to be honest, I have no idea what they mean, but our guest today does. He's back. I'm talking about our returning champion, John Williamson. Today, he's going to talk about unique selling propositions and charging higher prices. And if we're lucky, he'll tell us what emotional risk displacement means, since those three words can put more money in your pocket. John is coming to us from an undisclosed location on the side of a mountain in Scotland. And over the last 30 years, he has generated millions of dollars of sales for himself and his clients with his own special brand of unique selling propositions. He says, a great unique selling proposition will enable you to steal the attention and win the sales, including financial risk reversal in your USP that will win you even more sales. But you can take the process of USP development even further by embedding emotional risk displacement in your USP and win all of those extra sales at higher prices. On today's show, we'll talk about how it's possible to charge higher prices of your competitor and still get the business. But first, you need to get this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, John, you are like the contrarian surprise guy, and you've said before that if you want to get more sales, the first thing you need to do is raise your prices. Please explain. Can I just, before we go ahead, the undisclosed location on the side of a Scottish mountain? Yes. <laughs> that either makes me sound like a fugitive or, yes. or some kind of a hermit. And looking at my beard, like guys are probably going to be thinking I'm a hermit. Is that right? <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I think it makes you seem like a, a very special person that needs to be protected from carjackers and things like that. <laughs> oh, goodness me pricing yeah the pricing thing a quick story about how i really discovered the importance of understanding the price and how it reflects and and, oh, yeah. and happens in the business so like i came out of direct sales started up a marketing business consulting marketing business in my 20s and very quickly i was able to send a business's turnover revenue 
skyrocketing. And I'm like so pleased with myself, like my first client and the business is going through the roof. And then I get called into the office and the guy says, since you came, we started to go bust twice as quick. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Sales are going up and we're going bust twice as quick. How the heck can that even be possible? Luckily, luckily, the guy had a friend who was a, a CFO. I didn't even know what a CFO was in those days, but the guy knew a CFO. And uh, the guy came in and he said, he, he just finished the office. He came out an hour later and he said, who's responsible for the marketing? We're all sat out waiting. And I put my hand up very gingerly and he said, come with me. And he took me into his office and he sat me down and he said, listen, you're really, really good at what you do. I can see that. But you need to understand business. You, you need to develop some business acumen. And for the next couple of hours, he showed me how to read a balance sheet. He showed me how to interpret profit and loss. He showed me how to use management accounts. And I was blown away, David. Like, honestly, like everybody, whether you're a copywriter, business consultant, marketing geezer, whatever, it doesn't matter. Go and get some financial training. Understand the dynamics and the relationship between one thing happening over there and what it makes happen over there and all that kind of stuff. And that changed everything for me. And I very, very quickly saw from the conversation I had with him that price was hugely essential. Like getting that price right, optimizing the price, seeing how the money fell to the bottom line at a disproportionate rate. Every single time you put a percentage point on it, multiply down at the bottom. I know that sounds super obvious, but you know, to this day, I meet people and they still haven't figured that out. And so I developed a process, a process way of going into businesses and being able to explain to them in, in just like two or three minutes why they should refocus the time, effort, energy, resources in the business away from what they think they should be doing to what, what I consider they should be doing. So I'm just going to put that up on the whiteboard. I'll talk people through it if, if they're on the actual, the old analog podcast listening somewhere. But if we start with um, a big circle in the middle and we go, we're in business too. If I came to see you, David, supposing you as a client, I came to see you. There's only really one reason why you want to talk to somebody like me. It's because we're going to talk about make money. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And what I very quickly determined is that it's not about make money. It's about make more money. And, and mm -hmm. if we had the time, I'd, I'd go and I'd, I'd explain why that's so crucially important and why businesses don't capitalize themselves properly and, and they don't allow for the fact that businesses don't sell at retirement the way they thought it was going to retire, sell most of the time, et cetera. So most people really, they should be capitalizing themselves along the way. So they should be making way more than what they need to, to pay the bills this year, pay the taxes this year, et cetera. They should have a huge surplus all the time. And so make more money is what I started to focus on. I'd sell people on the concept of, um, hey, I'm not here to help you make an extra 10%. I'm going to get you double your profits. That's why I'm here today. Otherwise, no point speaking to me. This is the really interesting bit. Now, I show this to CPAs. And CPAs get their pad and pen out and they write this down. They go, this is really clever. Can I show my clients this? Okay. This is so simple, but nobody, nobody explains it this way. You want to make more money in business. Only three things need to happen. Number one, we either reduce our costs. Number two, we raise, I'm going to call it margins, but you know, prices. It's going to use the technical word or we increase sales. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. That's it. There is nothing else. Like, you can't find anything. I, I've been in massive businesses, smaller businesses, business in trouble, business doing extraordinarily well. It all boils down to those three things. And so what I do is I'd sit down and i go, what do you want me to work on first? And, and guess what people would say 90% of the time. If I said, you want to work on reducing costs, 
raising margins or increasing sales. Oh, they'll always say increase sales. Always say increasing sales. It's an entrepreneurial thing. You wake up in the morning, more revenue, more sales, more market share. But it's Whatever. actually the wrong priority, isn't it? I know where you're going with this. I think Usually I the wrong priority. Now, essentially, that should be your number one priority at any given moment of time. But let's just put that to one side and assume that you've done something. You've got the professional Scrooge in, and he's done that. Okay? This is where you should start, and I'll tell you for why. Yeah. Yeah. If you figure out, if you can figure out how to charge more money, getting extra sales is dead easy. Hmm. I know that sounds super simple, Why but if you that? inverse the whole process, how can we get more customers? But no, how can we increase our prices by 50%, 100% and then turn that into your USP or anything else we might want to talk about? It makes getting sales easier. And here's the second thing that I used to teach people and they go, man, there's only three things that can happen if you increase your prices. Sales go down, sales stay the same, or sales go up. Yeah, I know, sales go up. Sales can go up when you put your prices up. There's a whole bunch of psychology behind that. There's a whole bunch of market situational stuff behind the reason why that can take place. But sales can actually go up simply because you put the prices at the more appropriate place. They could stay the same. So on both of those two counts, you're in the money. Or sales could go down. But Here's the thing. I've got data sheets and little spreadsheet calculator things you can put your, run your finger over. It's super easy to calculate how much reduction in sales you can manage and still make the same amount of money before. And guess what? It almost never reduces by the amount of profit that you're going to lose. Does that make sense? So if you oh, put your prices that, up and yeah, you lose that's, that's That's really interesting. I like that. Yeah, I understand. Yeah? So it's like you can't lose if, if you, you do it right. It's, it's almost a no-lose. Now, you've, you've got to have some smarts. You don't just arbitrarily go in and do dumb stuff. But it's loaded on our side of the table. If you use this as a model and you appreciate that, that super simple concept there, it mm -hmm. is actually on our side of the table. Now, here's the thing. When I talk to business people, most of the time, money is an emotional issue. And, and like they've grown up with emotional issues of it. They've got, they're married to somebody and they've got emotional issues. So they, they sort of take on board of that. There's societal issue. Like money is an emotional thing. So when we talk about emotional displacement, like before we were talking about emotional risk displacement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's a reason why, because there's only three types of risk in the world, physical risk, financial risk, and emotional risk. Unless you deal with the mafia, there's no physical risk involved in doing business nowadays. Like no one gets hurt. Yeah. Just do your stuff. You're okay. So it's then either financial or emotional. Mm -hmm. And given that almost every single person on the planet is an emotional about money, and that's just a take to the bank fact, the fundamental issue is that it's always emotional risk. So whenever you're thinking about raising prices, whenever you're mentally trying to get over what kind of charge, you've got to accept the fact that it's an emotional thing here. And what most people try and do is they try and use risk reversal, you know, the old fashioned risk reversal. Like, hey, if you buy this and it doesn't work out, we'll give you your money back. If you buy it and you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. That's not dealing with the emotional quotient of the risk. That's dealing with the out-of-pocket financial thing that somebody might go. But here's the bottom line. The reason why people delay making decisions 90% of the time is because they fear humiliation, embarrassment, or ridicule. If I do this and I have to go home and tell my husband that I've, you know, last time I said I'd never make this mistake again, I'd never sign on the bottom line without thinking about it for five weeks for, I've done it again. And like, 
if I have to explain my way out of this, like, I don't think I can live with that. It doesn't matter who the situation is, yeah? And I've seen, like, proper, serious, grown-ass men, like, literally sweats because they're more concerned not about the money but about what other people might think if they make the wrong decision. Yep. And so you'll never get rid of that emotion. And this is why we call it emotional risk displacement. Risk reversal, money back guarantees are about absolving somebody from the risk. You're like, it's just not going to happen because if you don't like it, I'm going to give you all your money back. That's it. You're out. I'm still stuck with everybody saying, ha, you know, I wouldn't have done that. What a dumbass thing to do. Like, why did you put yourself in that? You know, you're still at risk of all that. People will go to a great ends to avoid that. So one of the things I've discovered along the way is that you, if you if you accept this and you build your pricing models around the fact that everybody has emotional issues with money and you look to uh, do emotional risk displacement and then you create and embed that into your unique selling propositions, boom, you're on a winner. Do you want an example? Yes, please. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. Here we have a, an example. So do you remember when we talked about it's not, it's not relevant whether people have seen this not, but we did the kitchen example like a couple of uh, episodes back, and I talked about risk. Sorry, I talked about emotional lock picking. Right. So here's what I, I discovered as we worked through that business. And anybody who's in the consultancy game, if you think that you go in and the client gives you money to solve a problem and that's it, no. The problems keep popping up like those things at the fairground where you hit the worm on the head and it keeps coming back up. And so – if yeah. you're problem orientated, like you're looking for those problems inside the business, you should have a client forever. Like, you know, you don't just take what they gave you as the thing. You look for all the other problems. So in this instance, I'm, I'm watching what happens when someone gets to point of sale. So we're talking about kitchens here, which cost tens of thousands of dollars. And proudly, the salesman, in, this is a few years ago, so probably on CAD design on a computer nowadays, but they would literally roll out a big design plan of the, the new kitchen. And I'd watch people as they looked at it. And their eyes would sweep from the top left-hand corner. Now we know this in emotion, in psychology with uh, readership paths. But they would look from the top of the paper to the right-hand corner. And guess what was in the right-hand corner? The price. Price. Great. And so they actually position the price exactly where people were going to look first. Like, boom, bang. That's it. So quick sweep, price. They've got it. And then people go into sticker shock. Or then they start to play the, I'm going to ask for a discount. And whilst you're talking, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to plot out in my head what I think I can get and what my argument's going to be and all that kind of stuff, yeah? And so yeah. I'm watching this one day. And whilst I'm watching it, I can hear through an open door a poor girl on the phone. And through all the time I've been there, the couple of hours, she's been hang handling customer complaints. 
So you've got the sales guy out here selling people a kitchen, trying to get an optimum price. You've got the girl in the back, and people can hear this in the showroom. Explain to people why the kitchen's delayed. Explain to people why there's been yet. And, and I'm like, man, like, this ain't good. It's not good that they can hear it, but it's not good that it exists because that's going to hit your referrals. It's going to hit your profitability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. So I say to the guys, why have you got this problem? They said, well, it's not our problem. It's supplier issue. The suppliers, we buy the doors off all the same manufacturers. You know, there's all sorts of reasons why they come from, they're imported or this or that, the other. So we can't always guarantee at our end what's going to happen at their end. So we get stuck with it. So I said, right, we need a unique selling proposition, which doesn't solve that problem because it's too big of a problem for us to solve and it's not our problem, but it displaces the emotional risk. Hmm. In other words, we need to deal with it. Don't ignore it. Don't sell the kitchen through. Don't sit there waiting for it. And then later have to spend hours talking to clients about why the kitchen's you know, a week later, whatever. So I taught them a brand new way of doing it, and I gave them a USP. This is what we call a point of sale USP. So I have USPs which run through businesses. So a business can have three, four, five USPs at different levels of the business. They can be transactional. They can be micro uh, niche, uh, micro USPs, depending on what we're doing. So here's what I told them. And this just worked like a dream. And I've done it in so many businesses beyond this one. So people listen to this. Don't listen to it as the kitchen example. Listen to it in a bigger way. And so here's what I taught them to say. When somebody sat down and looked at the price, and I didn't discourage them from doing that because I believe the price should be the very first thing you talk about every single time without exception. As soon as they looked at it, I'd say, oh, by the way, did we tell you about the free bonus that comes, sorry, that you get when you purchase your kitchen today? Now, people don't think about getting a discount when they're now more interested in the free bonus. So we've displaced their thinking in terms of I'm not focusing on anymore. Now I'm all ears. I want to know what the free bonus is. Very good. A free, bon- free bonuses really work. And, I, and this is what we said. And this just blew people out of the water. We'd say, listen, when we fit a kitchen, we do it to such a high exacting standard that sometimes it can take an extra day, two, three, four, even a week because we won't walk away from a job until it's exactly 100% correct. You're spending good money on this and we want you to have exactly what you want and it's going to be perfect. But we, so now you see, we've given the problem up front. So we've not ignored it, but we've reframed it as a, we want to get the job right as against we've got supplier issues. Yeah. And then what we say is, but you're not going to be inconvenienced for even one, one evening whilst your kitchen's been fitted. Because every day over schedule that we are fitting your kitchen, you get to eat out on us for free at these local restaurants. Wow. Mrs. Wow. Prospect has just bought. She's like, I'm in. Because number one, I want it to be right. And number two, I want to be able to brag to my friends, my neighbors, the girls at work, my mother-in-law, that I've been so smart that when I got my kitchen, I got this super deal where I get to eat out for free at all these restaurants the duration of any overspill. Yeah. So boom, the price is gone. And magically, people stopped asking for a discount. They stopped asking for a discount, which could have been thousands of dollars just because it was going to get a few hundred dollars worth of comp. But David, here's the thing. I don't believe in discounting. So we're going to start shelling money out for people's restaurant meals. That don't count. So here's what we did next. 
I went to all the local restaurants and I said, if we were to send you customers who are buying kitchens that they're probably never going to use because the more expensive the kitchen is, the less people actually use it. That's a fact. So if we send you people are more likely to be repeat customers and we're going to sell you how to engage them and get them back in over and over. Will you give us a free meal? Will you do that for us? Will you do that for the marketing exposure you're going to get? And guess what? Every single one of them said. They said yes. Thank you. Thank you for coming by today. Because, you know, restaurants are the worst marketeers in the world. It's one of True. the highest turnover businesses in terms of going Boston or the rest of it because they think it's about cooking great food and it's not. No business is about doing great anything. Yeah. Um, what's the old saying? Great products and services don't make millionaires. Great marketing makes millionaires. Yeah. It's like, yep, yeah, yep. the product's got to be 100%, but that marketing's got to be even better. And so I aligned the restaurants with something in their interest. It was in our interest because it gave us the time now. So we didn't have to handle all the customer service problems and have people moaning, you know, to the friends about, oh, it's, it's two weeks overdue and whatever. They didn't care. They were getting to eat out for free. Yeah. So let me just state the obvious for, because this went by pretty fast and it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah sorry. But, but some people might have missed this part. The reason, <clears throat> and I'm guessing here, so please confirm or, or push back. The reason that the more expensive the kitchen, the less they use it is twofold. One, the more expensive the kitchen, the more money they have to eat out so they might be lazy. But two, it might be more likely that they're both working, they're both professionals, they both 100%. have business, so they don't have the time to cook. Yeah, it's both. It's too much money, but not enough time. So you put the two things together and, and you look at all the stats on, on restaurant usage. So the first thing I always do when I'm working with restaurants, I've done a lot of work with restaurants, is I analyze the customer base and every single time, 8 to 20 principle applies. And they've got super spenders. And if you go back and look at the occupations and all of it, they correlate every single time. It's down to oh, oh, we yeah. don't have time and we make a lot but, of money. But the, the reason I wanted to point to explore that and point it out if it was right and get pushed back on if it was wrong is that's why the restaurant said yes. Okay. So all I was going to add is you were entirely right yes. in your, your summarization of it and how it worked and why it worked, that it was a win, win, win. And, and, to get good at doing these kind of uh, these kind of USPs where you're going to engage a third party as part of your fatal flaw concept is you have to make it in their interest. It has to be good for them too. And in this instance, it was incredibly good for the restaurateurs because it, it gave them access to a group of people, which normally would be very hard to get. John, thank you so much for coming on and just given so much value to our listeners. I really appreciate it. I know that David does as well and the listeners out there as well. If people want to check out more of your work or join a really fantastic Facebook group that you guys have put together, what's the best place to get in touch with you or join your community? Yeah, I, I'd go Attention Bandits Facebook group. So just search Attention Bandits um, on the old Facebook or go to attentionwizards.com and you can get access to it from there as well. So whichever way works for people. Awesome. All right. And if you, the listener, want to catch more episodes of this podcast, you can always do that over at copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, we will catch you later. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app.
so we can get into ears of more listeners. Thank you. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.